6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 33 through 36. Ecadalia, the man of God, who was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Messiah, or something such thing, and the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before them the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups, and said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever, neither build ye a house, and so forth. I'll go into this, but at this point I better stop and give you a little background, and then we'll pick it up. Pick it up. Uh, the Rechabites are a strange separatist nomadic group. Our uh, descendants of Jonadab, or Jehonadab, about, uh, shows up in about 840 B.C. You'll find his story in 2 Kings chapter 10. And uh, Jonadab, or Jehonadab, is actually quite helpful uh, in the days of uh, Jehu in ridding the northern kingdom of Baal worship. Jehu was a pretty rough king, and Jonadab helped them purge the land of, of idols. So he's a good guy. Now, he is a Kenite. Now, Kenites, we don't know a lot about the Kenites. What we do know, they apparently were a sub, they're somehow associated with the Midianites, a subgroup maybe of the Midianites, because we know that their kindred, uh, that Jethro was of them. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. Remember when Moses left Egypt and he he uh, lives in Midian for a while and, and, and takes Yvonne de Carlo to wife. Well, Jethro, I just want to see if you're paying attention. Um, Jethro was a Kenite, okay? And, and uh, so he's, it's not an Israeli, it's not a, it's not a, a Hebrew sect or, uh, or a tribe, if you will. Now, at the time of Jethro, as I say, they were, they were very prominent in purging uh, the... Uh, the um, Northern Kingdom of Baal worship. I wrote this down around the time of Jehu, excuse me, not, not Jethro, around the time of Jehu. Um, a guy by the name of Heber, who was a Kenite, and his wife, Jael, J-A-E-L. Um, this was a time when there was, Israel was at war with the uh, Canaanites, and uh, Sisera was the, the big ruler. He tried to hide in Jael's tent, take refuge, and she killed him. And that's a very important uh, thing and, and the defeat there and the, and uh, to rid the land of Baal worship. So the Kenites, even though they're not um, uh, Hebrew, they were helpful in helping the land get purged of, of, of uh, idols. They generally lived in the southern deserts, according to 1 Samuel 15, 6, and, um, and in Israelite territory is in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5, we find reference. They're a very mysterious group. We don't know a lot about them. Now, at the time that the northern kingdom, which did return to idolatry and then gets, goes into... When it finally fell, the Kenites moved south 
So we do get the impression they're faithful to the God of Israel, even though they're not Hebrews. They're somehow assimilated in Israel, even though they don't have ethnic uh, roots there. So they move south into Judah. Now, they have a major leader about 840 BC called Jonadab, and um, he is the one that gave them some rules. His, his uh, positioning of them was to be a nomadic tribe and not to do anything that interfered with being a nomadic tribe. Therefore, they did not build houses. They lived in tents where they could move. They did not raise wine. They didn't raise any kind of crops that you can't. I mean, nomadic tribes don't do that. We're going to find a lot of misunderstandings have come out of this because it sounds like wine is bad, and that's a whole other issue I'm not going to get into tonight. But recognize that the main thing here is that Jonadab gave them all kinds of rules incident to them uh, maintaining a nomadic existence. He banned all sedentary occupations. Now, what's interesting is the Rechabites, some three for three hundred years, were faithful to Jonadab's instruction. Okay, their patriarch was uh, Jonadab. And uh, here you see what Jehoiakim Kim does. He invites the current Rechabites into the, into, uh, the house here, house of the Lord, and he gives them uh, pots full of wine and cups and says, hey, drink some wine. And in this in verse 6, they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab. Now, this is 300 years ago. Jonadab said, uh, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Now, don't jump to the conclusion there's something wrong. Don't base any temperance on this. So many people do. This is it's misconstruing what's really going on. Neither shall ye build a house. Anything wrong with building houses? No, but that was their instruction, not to build a house. Nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any. But all your ways ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye are sojourners. Now, this, uh, I'm not saying this vice isn't good. Our citizenship is in heaven. We should have a very light touch with the things of this world. Verse 8, Thus they say, Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine in all our days, we and our wives and our sons and our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we a vineyard, nor a field, nor seed. Okay, nothing wrong with raising wheat, is there? For them it is, because they were instructed not to, by their forebear. Verse 10, But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed, and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. Verse 11, But it came to pass, when Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came up into the land, that we said, Come, let us go down to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, and for the fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. In other words, they are not city people. They're analogous, I think, to the Bedouins or something, in the sense that they're nomadic tribe, tent-dwelling tribesmen. They retreated to the city because of the pressures of war. They're not normally in the city, and that's where they find themselves here. Verse 12, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my word, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed, for unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. 
I have sent also unto you all my servants and the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return now, every man, from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given you unto your fathers, and ye have not inclined your ear nor hearkened unto me. See what the Lord is doing? He's drawing a contrast. Here's this strange nomadic mystery group. But they're faithful to the voice of their instructor. The Lord is not making an issue of the wine. He's making an issue of their faithfulness to their prophet. He's a, in contrast, he's, he's contrasting himself and Judah. Verse 16, Because the sons of Jonadab and the sons of Rechab have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Isn't that interesting? What's really going on here? Well, one reference I'd like to just throw at you is Isaiah chapter 1, the second and third verses of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, the verses 2 and 3 of the book of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Isaiah chapter uh, 1, verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people doth not consider. Interesting. Every time, how many of you have pets? Every time your pet recognizes you and responds to you, Remember Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3. Because our Lord's frustration, if I can use that word, is that the ox knoweth his master, right? And the ass knows his master's feeding trough, right? But Israel doesn't know the Lord. And every time you see your pet or a, a dumb beast acknowledge his owner, Remind yourself if he's, make sure he's not doing more than you are. Okay? Now that's what the Lord is saying here in my mind in terms of, that's why I'm very intrigued with the positioning of chapter 35 and this whole issue of the Rechabites. It's got nothing to do with the story. It's going back 17 years in the days of Jehoiakim. However, what's the contrast? The princes of Judah who didn't keep the covenant. They swore a covenant and didn't keep it. Uh, now, there are at least five contrasts here. The Rechabites followed a fallible leader. Jonadab was, hey, you know, human, right? Judah 
disobeyed the eternal God. Contrast. Jonadab gave his commandments once. He laid down the law for the Rechabites. Hey, you guys are going to stay in tents, you're going to stay mobile, no sedentary occupations, therefore no vineyards, no crops, no sea, no houses that you build, etc. Right? He, he put down his rules once. How often did God put down his rules? Repeatedly. God makes that point in verse 15. Again and again and again, he says, I have sent also you all my servants and my prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell safely in the land which I have given you and to your fathers. And ye. But ye have not inclined your ear. Not once, again and again and again. His patience is exhausted. It's interesting that uh, the, the Rechabites had their restrictions only on temporal issues. We have no evidence that there's any profound spiritual issue there, just the idea that they have a specific set of rules to deal with their physical life, their, their, their temporal issues. God's rules are on both. There are some temporal issues, but obviously they are all eternal issues. Now, um, again, Lord's people, how often did they disobey? Continually. For hundreds of years. The whole nation, history of the nation of Israel, really. Okay? The Rechabites obeyed 300 years. See the contrast again. And, of course, the final contrast is the Rechabites' fidelity to their leader is rewarded. And, of course, the disloyalty of Judah is punished. The, the uh, contrast of chapter 34 and the failure of Judah to keep their vow, and, and uh, chapter 35, the Rechabites are putting in there as a uh, contrast. Now, there's another issue here that causes a lot of puzzling here, because verse 19, see this whole Rechabites thing, I'm really summarizing a lot of background because it's a mystery. Now, we don't know a lot about these people. They keep surfacing in odd little places throughout the Scripture. Um, but uh, verse 19, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, uh, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. God is saying that the descendants of Jonadab, that is the Rechabites, are going to be before the throne of grace forever. Well, that raises all kinds of questions. Um, this question of stand before me or serve me uh, typically is implied to mean a priesthood. However, it actually is used of the prophets in 1 Kings 17.1. It's used of the priests in Numbers 16.9. It's used of kings, 1 Kings 10.8. So what exactly is meant by a Rechabite standing before the Lord forever is not that clear. The term is also used of uh, patriarchs in Genesis 19.27, of Moses and Samuel both in Jeremiah 15.1, and it's, of, uh, it's also used of the nation. Uh, when they were worshiping the Lord, that is, in Jeremiah chapter 7. So it's uh, uh, exactly what this means is a little unclear, because I'm not sure we'd know a Rechabite today if we saw one, but apparently they are in fact destined to uh, stand before the Lord. Now there is a strange passage in the Targum, one of the Jewish commentaries, which implies that the Rechabites were somehow incorporated into the tribe of Levi. Uh, it's not scripture. We don't know that for sure. It's just one of these, again, one of these mysterious little pieces of background that uh, uh, I uh, 
I share with you. Okay, so we're doing pretty good. We can probably uh, create a little more damage tonight. Just knock these things off and, and keep moving here. Um, in general, so much of Jeremiah's message, I think, was uh, familiar to us in, in large measure, so I won't badger that to death, and I'll just try to throw in a few things from background that might be useful. Uh, but I think the something else you should understand is that Jeremiah's book was written twice, and we'll see why in chapter 36. Chapter 36, verse 1, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a scroll of a book, and write it in all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. So in other words, the whole bit, right, Jeremiah? Write it all down. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And this guy shows up again. Remember, he was the trustee on the, on the title deeds last week, right? Same guy. Uh, Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which uh, he had spoken unto him upon a scroll of a book. Now, this is very common practice in those days to have an amanuensis, a scribe, a, a dictation, a special uh, skill. Verse 5, And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am restrained, I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go and read in the scroll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people in the house upon the fast day. And thou, sh uh, and thou shalt read them in the hearing of all Judah who come out of their cities. And it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath promised against his people. And Baruch the son of Nera did according to all that uh, Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book um, that the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So they're getting a full dose of Jeremiah's presentation in their hearing. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord and all the people of Jerusalem, to all the people who came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. Then read Baruch in the um, book, the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of uh, uh, Gemariah, the son of uh, Shaphan the scribe, in the higher court at the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house in the hearing of all the people. And when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. Then he went down into the king's house, into the scribes' chambers, and lo, all the princes sat there. Even Elishama the scribe, and Delia the son of a lot of other names I can't pronounce properly. Um, this whole gang of characters. And Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Verse 13, Micaiah had declared unto them all the words that he had heard, and Baruch took the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shemeliah, the son of Cushi, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thy hand the scroll from which thou hast read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, uh, the son of Neriah, took the scroll and came uh, in his hand and came unto them, and they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Okay. And it came to pass... When they had heard all the words, they turned in fear one to another. 
And they said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? And Baruch answered them, He pronounced all these words into me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. There's the technical explanation of how that happened. Verse, <laughs> verse 19. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye are. Hot stuff, huh? And they went into the king, into the court, and they laid up the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent uh, Jehudai to fetch uh, the scroll, and he took it out of the uh, out of Elishama the scribe's chamber. Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king, and the hearing of all the princes who stood before the king. And now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire in the hearth burning before him. You start to see it coming, can't you? We're going to have the first example of textual criticism in the history of biblical literature. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four columns, bear in mind, you can visualize this as a scroll, and they write in columns. If you've never seen the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever, in the, or any of those things, you, you can visualize this. He read three or four columns, which are equivalent to pages if you were doing a codex, as we would call it. Okay. Um, he cut it with the penknife, okay? This is called textual criticism. You cut out the parts you don't agree with, right? And cast it into the fire that was in the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Boy. Yet they were not afraid, nor tore their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, uh, El Nathan and uh, a couple of these other guys uh, had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the scroll, but he would not hear them. And the king commanded uh, Jeremiel, the son of Hamelech, and uh, a couple of these other guys uh, to take Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. So um, bad stuff, burning books. Especially in this context, uh, they could not do worse. Um, that, uh, that sealed it. They had their chance. Verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch uh, wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another scroll, and write it in all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah hath burned. And thou shalt say unto Jehoiakim king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this scroll, saying, Why hast thou written in it, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease in it man and beast. Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, He shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. And his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night to the frost. Bear in mind, here see, he's going to be denied a king's burial. Even being denied a burial was a, a, a fearsome thing to a Jew. And the king to be denied a royal burial is, is uh, yeah, obviously a, a deeper form of indictment. Verse 31, And I will punish him with his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them, but they hearken not. Then took Jeremiah another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote 
in it from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, the son of the king of Judah, hath burned in the fire, and they were added besides unto them many like words. Heavy stuff. Okay. And I don't want to get into 37 tonight because I won't do it justice. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. It's interesting how when people don't like what they hear, they find ways to take out a penknife and, and separate it. Um, this whole business of criticism, textual criticism, is a, a tragic, tragic mess. It's the first step to disbelief. And that's nothing new. That's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan uh, beguiled Eve. She explained the rule that God had given them, and Satan says, Yea, hath God said? I mean, did God really say that? That's his first step, raising that question. Did God really say that? And um, it's interesting, uh, this whole business of, of uh, one Isaiah or two, we've been through that. There are those scholars that like to say they're really two Isaiahs. And they say that because they're totally ignorant of John 12, where John points out that uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and chapter 53 were written by the same Isaiah. So John didn't know anything about the Deutero-Isaiah Deutero theory. Uh, you'll find though the so-called documentary hypothesis about the Torah. Those are all Satan's ways to create a doubt that this is in fact a supernatural book. 66 books written by 40 authors assembled over 4,000 years that have a single message, a message of a Redeemer. Every word, every place name, every comma um, is inspired by the Holy Spirit and skillfully engineered into place. And the more we discover it, the more flabbergasted we become that it is indeed a supernatural book. You don't take your penknife out and, and, and cut out the parts you don't like. And uh, that was their ultimate doom, the rejection of the Word of God. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.